We encourage you to hit the subscribe button right now so you can listen to more podcasts of Operation Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, we do want to hear from you, so we encourage you to email us directly at operationtruthofficial at gmail.com. I want you to know that your messages are likely to be heard, addressed, and listened to on air. Operation Truth, the show they don't want you to see. Now, here's your host, Lou. Hi, everyone. This is Lou Palumbo, and with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my collaborator, Tom Fuentes, who I learn from every time I talk to this man. Ironically, he's quite a character. With us today, again, is uh, Kevin Brockman. He's a former assistant director of the FBI. I'm going to let Kevin tell you a little bit more about his background in particular, because I think you'll find it rather interesting. Um, we we spoke last time we had Kevin uh, on the, on our podcast about this um, border issue because he was one of 10 former senior executives of the FBI that were architects of a letter that was delivered to our Congress, among other entities in our government. So, Kevin, I want to thank you for joining us again. And um, I want to take you right into this discussion about the border because... I mentioned in the last podcast, as I've mentioned in other podcasts, I've been talking about this for almost three years. And I, I explained to people this indiscriminate access to our country without the ability to vet people was going to be a problem. What we've got to do is look at Chicago, cities in Maine, Vermont, Denver, Austin, Texas. Did I mention New York? <laughs> New York is so underwater right now, we need to throw them a life a life server or something. Anyway, Kevin, tell us a little bit about this um, this letter that was generated. I'd like to know a little bit about the discussions that took place between yourself and Chris Schwecker, who, by the way, is a former assistant director, been on our show. You know, how did you guys come together to go like, guys, we got a problem here in paradise? Lou, thanks again for having me. It's, been, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Um, you had asked me what my bona fides were, and I, you know, I was 24 years in the FBI, as starting from street agent uh, up to assistant director. I was the assistant director of the Directorate of Intelligence, which was formed after 9/11 um, as a requirement of the 9/11 Commission in Congress, and I was privileged enough to be the first assistant director of that new division inside the FBI. And then, um, after getting that up and running, I was asked to come over to the National Counterterrorism Center another post 9-11 startup, interagency um, uh, agency that was set up to aggregate all the terrorist intelligence that the FBI, that the country was was um, accumulating and collecting in order to inform the president uh, more completely about those threats. Uh, so that was a great assignment. And, and so standing on those credentials i and chris swecker former assistant director for the criminal investigative division of the fbi started having conversations back in december about uh, our concerns over what was happening over the last three years at the border and our concerns as well that not enough discussion was being mounted regarding uh, the threats that were being presented at the border and uh, we weren't hearing articulation amongst leadership and government. We weren't seeing coverage in press that equated to the seriousness uh, of what was happening at our borders. And then to synthesize, um, what has happened over the last three years is basically the border has been tossed open so that anybody coming to the border and being encountered is being, most people are being allowed to come into the country given a court date uh, at some distant uh, time in the future, uh, the vast majority of those people given those court dates don't ultimately show up for those court dates. Um, so basically a free pass into the country. And uh, without a lot of vetting going on as to who these people are, and, um, and many who were encountered came with prior criminal histories uh, in the countries from which they came. And so, and also during this three-year time period, we saw a dramatic shift in the demographics of who was coming across the border. Whereas in years gone by, the vast majority were poor families coming as families to the border, trying to seek a better life in the United States. And now 
over the last three years, we've seen a dramatic shift to where over 65% of those coming to the border and being encountered are single military-aged adult males from not-so-nice regions of the of, of the globe, uh, many from states, uh, countries that are state sponsors of terrorism or terror-saturated regions, or from Russia and China, and mostly China, frankly. The number two country right now uh, the, the the greatest number of people being encountered at the border right now are number one from Colombia, number two from China. What do you suspect? Let me interrupt Ken for a moment. And, and I know this is a bit of conjecture, speculation, opinion. What do you think the agenda could be of the Chinese nationals accessing the country and the numbers in which they have? Well, here's my conjecture on that. Uh, China has deliberately targeted the United States since the 1990s uh, by stealing U.S. research and development intellectual property, remotely accessing it through the Internet. You can track the rise of the Chinese economy directly to the advent and, and widespread adoption and commercialization of the Internet. The Internet provided them a pathway to steal uh, research and development that they didn't have to and and you look at their products, many of them are similar to American products. So economic espionage became a, a huge weapon of the PRC, People's Republic of China, uh, for the 90s and the 2000s and, and the 2010s. What we've seen lately, and Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI, has uh, rightly testified to this, so has the, the head of uh, Critical Infrastructure Security Agency, Jen Easterly, pointed out that they have seen a shift in China's um, objectives to where now they are actively attempting to intrude through cyber attacks on America's critical infrastructure to where they will introduce malware, not to disrupt now, but to disrupt should hostilities warrant in the future. Uh, This is gravely concerning. Another topic that doesn't get enough uh, attention and I'll, I'll, Lou, I will bring this to the point of your question here in a minute, but this is as backdrop. Um, the fact that the Chinese have, uh, are assessed to have by the by NSA and other agencies, <clears throat> this capability to directly disrupt critical infrastructure, that means power, that means energy, that means fuel, that means transportation, that means other things that we depend on in our lives to where... Uh, we could suffer devastating disruptions and and even deaths uh, is gravely concerning. This is this is a key strategy of the PRC at this time. Second threat from China is a very deliberate infusion of fentanyl into this country. Fentanyl is uh, manufactured; the precursors of it are manufactured in China, shipped to the cartels. The cartels introduce it into the country. We now have more fentanyl in this country that can possibly be consumed. Fentanyl is not just an addictive drug. It is a bioweapon. So China has put into place attacks that could be triggered at any time, whether they're attacks on critical infrastructure, whether they're utilizing fentanyl as a bioweapon. But not all of that can be done remotely. Uh, it would need to to increase the effectiveness of these attacks. You need boots on the ground. You need people here in this country to help with the last mile of the attack. That's my concern. When 30,000 military-aged Chinese males come from a country that's not known for allowing mass emigration, uh, then we should be worried, and it should be, and and the FBI should be, monitoring all of these individuals, finding out whether they have been tasked operationally and um, and and work now to mitigate that threat. Otherwise, we're going to suffer mass uh, consequences. Well, and for everybody listening, I'm sure you're glad I asked him that question because he gave you quite a very detailed and important explanation as to why we should be concerned. I want to ask you something, and I almost hate to ask you this question, but how does it make you feel when you listen to Mallorca tell you that our borders secure redundantly? You know, I, I just struggle to understand how we could lack so much honor, so much integrity, so such a lack of morality and truth. 
that this man redundantly has said the border is secure. The border is secure. And he doesn't waver on it. And what's this man Biden? What fabric is this man made of? But does he figure that maybe the clock is ticking on him? He's not going to experience the fallout of this. Well, I want to tell you this. It's about our young people here today, guys. We're handing them a bad deck of cards. Myself, Kevin, Tom, any of us in our demographic, we're positioned differently here. We just have to finish out whatever time we can and as much peace and calm as we possibly can. But the young people here, guys, are going to take this in the shorts. I want to ask you, Kevin, about the balloon, the infamous balloon, now that we're on China for a moment. Mm -hmm. give, me, give me some assessment or appraisal of what, what you think went on with that and why there was such hesitancy. And I heard the explanation from the government about wanting, not wanting to shoot it down until it hit South Carolina. But what's your take on that? Stay with us. We'll be right back. It's Joseph M. Wanted with the Constitutionalist Politics. Tune in for the upcoming episode for May 4. Issue, never the issue. As well as, yes, Peter Serafin, Rosemary Downer, Don Gallade, Gista the Rapper, Cy Young, Jason Perry, and upcoming Jack Hagar, Andrew Thorpe King, Trent Rock, Ed Temple, Chris Morehouse, and more. Please tune in to Constitutionalist Politics. God bless. Well, obviously, it's concerning. I, uh, you know, Tom and I no longer have access to classified information. We don't know. And there could have been logical, intelligence-driven requirements to allow that balloon to intrude upon our space as much as it did that i'll say that up front however comma um it's gravely alarming that such uh such surveillance platform easily detectable was allowed that kind of access we don't know what was on that balloon we don't know whether it carried a device that could have created an EMP or spread some type of biological weaponry uh, into the atmosphere. <clears throat> we didn't know. Uh, as, as far as we know, we didn't know. And, uh, and so <laughs> the American people are rightly disturbed by um, what seemed to be inadequate response to a, a clear threat. But again, it kind of fits a pattern of uh, of of a of a current government that is not providing adequately for the safety and security of the American people, and uh, we are the vulnerabilities in our country have increased dramatically over the last three years. Tom, yeah, like I agree it. with that. The thing about uh, you know some of these things that are happening now based on China attempts to uh, penetrate our airspace or people on the ground. Uh, these are not new ideas. China is taking a page from the U.S. playbook from years ago. I'll start with World War II. Japan launched balloons over the United States during World War II, toward the end, in May of, of 45, where they had, you know, the explosives on some of them and possibly chemicals and biological warfare systems on some of them. And what they did is their scientists told them, if you put that loop, a balloon up at a certain point, the jet stream will take it across, you know, the North Pacific and across the airspace of Canada down into the United States, and we can put explosives or whatever. Now, one of those balloons actually landed in Oregon and a, uh, a reverend, his wife, and some kids were having a picnic out on the church grounds. And before he could yell at the kids to not go near that balloon, they did. It exploded, killing his wife, who was pregnant, killing a couple of the kids. Now, that is in World War II. That was a Japanese weapon that was launched. And, of course, you know, the Japanese had a, um, a biological warfare factory and research center that they put in China, and they were spraying chemicals on Chinese uh, towns, testing how lethal they would be. And they were looking at a way, how can they deliver that from Japan all the way to the United States? And that's what they chose, put it in the jet stream. 
Now, during the late 1950s, we had a program, and now I'm going to talk about the Chinese soldiers that have come across our border, 20 or 30,000 of them. But we had a program in uh, 1958-59 where a number of military personnel, which included Lee Harvey Oswald, um, decided, or they were hired, I should say, by the Office of Naval Intelligence working with the CIA. And the idea was that they would pretend like they're communists. They hate the U.S. They're defecting to the Soviet Union to become spies for the United States. So Oswald goes over among the many group. Well, the thing is, the whole program was compromised. KGB and the Soviet Union knew that we had that program, knew these people were coming. And then what they did was when the individuals got to the Soviet Union, then they set them up with women. So Oswald is introduced to Marina and his wife, and they later marry and have children. And the idea was that these KGB female agents would marry the Americans. And when they went back to the U.S., decided that they did enough spying like Oswald did. Two years later, he says, never mind. I'm a loyal American. Give me my passport back. He had handwritten notes. He flies to Rotterdam in the, in the Netherlands, and he's debriefed by ONI and the CIA. And oh, yeah, he brings his lovely bride over. And the, and the part of that program was the Soviets put these women with our men so that when they came back, the women then, as spouses, get citizenship in the United States. Then they, they make up a story that their husband beat them or mistreated them or something, get a divorce, and now they're roaming all over the U.S. spying. So now we see these Chinese young men coming over. This time they're not bringing brides, but what are they doing? They'll, they'll find brides on U.S. soil. They'll do what they're going to do in the U.S. Now, the other thing is China has this, uh, you know, this system where you can't travel. If you don't have a good social credit score, you can't take a bus, taxi, train, airplane, any mode of transportation. You can't leave the country. You can't do any of that. These, these guys are obviously being flown here with the help of the Chinese government. They land in Ecuador or, or some other country next to Colombia, South America. And then they stay in real nice hotels. Buses roll up, paid for by who knows, and bring them to the U.S. Now, the next thing we see pictures of them standing on a highway with U.S. Border Patrol standing with them. And they're by the thousands coming in like that. Now, are they here for espionage? They're not here because they want to be loyal Americans or China wouldn't let them come. So <laughs> what are they doing here? Or what's their future plan to harm the U.S.? We don't know yet. Time will tell what's going to happen with that. You know, you know, Tom and, and Kevin, I, I have to say, th say it this way. You know, this, this border issue is a wake-up call. You know, there's a lot of things you can kind of arbitrate and negotiate through life. I mean, I got all that. But when we're talking about something that poses a direct threat to your nation's security, as as was articulated by the FBI director about nine months ago. And in that, he said the southern borders threat to the United States. Every 12 hours, the FBI opening up a case regarding China's activity in the U.S. What you're witnessing in your major cities. And then you listen to 10 senior executives of the FBI. And I'm not even including Tom in that. Tom's voice, you can hear every every week with me on this podcast in multitude. You know, I'm hoping that the American public is, I know we're asleep at the wheel. I hope we aren't so asleep at the wheel that this next election, we can continue to allow this governing body to do what they've been doing for these past three years. You know, I, I am just, I, I hate to say it to you. I think alarmed is the word. And probably more so than, than a lot of people who don't have children, because those of us that do, we're looking what we're leaving them. And that's really what the show is about, guys. Just to remind you, this is not about Tom and myself and Kevin, Chris Schweck, or any number of people we've had on. It's not about us telling you how wonderful we are. It's you benefiting from our experience. These two gentlemen with me today dedicated their lives to protecting this nation. Heed their words. They're more trustworthy than probably 99% of the people sitting on Capitol Hill. I don't even talk about the president because I've, you know, I've I've gotten into this mode where I don't like the manner in which they address Joe Biden. I don't think it's 
it's it's a good thing to to make fun of him when he trips. That's just father time. It catches us all. Let's say factually driven, ladies and gentlemen. I direct that to Sean Hannity, for example, who seems to think it's it's humorous that we you know see the government the, the president make gaffes. Guys, you got to understand what we're living with here. The future of this country, I feel, is teetering on this next election. I don't believe, and I'll bet you these two gentlemen agree with me, we'll survive another four years of what we're doing and the way we're doing it. Um, Kevin, I want to go into this discussion about Putin, uh, the Ukraine, Navalny, in a, in a very general sense. And, you know, I first want to give you a little bit of lead in it. I'm sitting here understanding that we've spent $113 billion in the Ukraine. We're asking for $61 billion more, which brings you to a grand total so far of $174 billion. What's your impression of the Ukraine? Because I know Tom's. I'd be curious to hear what your impression is, Kevin, of the Ukraine. Yeah, um, and I've actually written about this. Um, my philosophy is Europe has proven itself to be, over the centuries, a small geographic landmass populated by people who cannot get along with each other. Twice we've been lured into wars on that continent and have expended upwards of a half a million American lives um, over there. Um, I do not want to see another drop of American blood spent on behalf of a continent that cannot get along. Um, I, I have no interest in their internecine disputes um i don't care much what i i you know as a as a freedom loving uh you know uh capitalist you know american i certainly honor uh the the freedoms of the people of ukraine but they're i mean they're an oppressed country even at their at their best, led by corruption, uh, rife corruption through the years. Putin is a thug. I mean, he is a, I mean, he's he's Vito Corleone in a in a uh, in a nice suit. Um, he obviously has shown that he has no no regard for the law, uh, no regard for for human ethics, as he eliminates opposition through violent means. Um, we've the hundreds and billions of dollars that you pointed out that have been sent over there of our money is, is money that could have been spent on things that were more directly beneficial to the American people. Um, I, that, that may strike some as, as being, fairly a callous, but that's, that's my position on it. I, I would, I would, if I had draft age children still, um, and, and Americans were being drafted into a war over there, I'd be uh, vehemently protesting it. Yeah. Um, you, you know, what, what's interesting about this, Kevin, is the history of the Ukraine is what it is. Corruption riddled with corruption. I don't want to bump back into this man who poses as the president, but during his administration and his omnipotent wisdom, he thought it would be okay that his son insinuate himself in any way, shape, or form into the Ukraine, no less than association with Burisma. I don't know what the American public, you know, there's such a lack of morality in this government today. And I think that's the concept that applies. That is, it's overwhelmingly alarming. You know, what is what is it going to take is is the question. I do want to say one thing, though, Kevin. You know, you mentioned that Putin eliminated opposition through violence. I want to go back historically with our country. We embraced that same tactic. In fact, we spoke after the last podcast about the Kennedy assassination. A big, big discussion there regarding what transpired there with that one single event on November 22nd. 1963 and what we're living today, the loss of the innocence of this country and its rude awakening about bumping into this military industrial complex. But I, I want to talk to, before we go on to that discussion, this fell in the, well, this one thing I do want to say, Kevin, I don't know if you agree with this. I, I believe that we should help support the Ukraine proportionately. I've said before on this podcast, I'm getting tired of saying it. 31 NATO nations exist. 
29 are on the continent of Europe. Let them take the lion's share of this responsibility since they seem to be so concerned about the guy who's knocking on their door. I'm not saying back away, but this is like the cuckoo left the clock. We have homeless, mentally ill, our veterans. We should hang our head in shame that Tunnels for Towers builds homes for our veterans that are user-friendly for them when they're amputees, not our government. Or that the mortgages are paid off by Tunnels for Towers, not our government. Let's keep funneling money in. But you know what it is? I think the American public sometimes feel desperation, despair. They go like, well, what are we going to do about it? Guys, get off your rear ends and vote. Take your political lens and sit on it. Stop looking at this country through a political lens. Think about your children. Think about their future. Look at the trajectory of this country. Listen to these conversations we're having with you. We're not selling fear. I never sold fear in my business in 44 years I'm in this industry. I tell people the truth. I tell people, stay calm. That'll get you through this thing. We're in a crisis here. This Navalny thing. Now, I just want to make sure I understand the backstory. This guy's not a U.S. citizen. He's a Russian citizen. He got out of Russia, then went back in. Then they grabbed him, and allegedly, allegedly, they murdered him. And now we're involved in this somehow in imposing sanctions, and Australia's doing the same thing. When did it become imp incumbent upon us to punish another country for how they treat their citizens? In other words, and I understand where we could go with this thing with Tenement Square and the Chinese. I know where it is. I'm just opening this up to discussion. But how committed should we be in pursuing this issue with Navalny and Putin? This is not like this is a new Putin. Would you agree, Kevin? No, it it isn't. And sanctions <laughs> against Russia have have shown to be uh, not not very effective. Um, <clears throat> and it's more of a symbolic reaction. But I will point out that uh, Putin, you know, with his with his base morals, uh, you know, eliminates his opposition through through violence. Um, in our country, there's an active attempt to eliminate political opposition through judicial polonium, basically, uh, by dragging by this administration going after and another Democrat led um, prosecutors around the country going after Donald Trump through the courts any way possible using charges that are ultimately not not standing up in court. Um, and even the, the recent civil fraud trial that uh, awarded over $300 million or charged Trump with over $300 million uh, is the facts of that matter and the reasoning behind it are specious at best. So... We have our own methods in this country of trying to eliminate political opposition and um, comforting ourselves that we're not doing it through violence is, is a small comfort as far as I'm concerned because the, the lack of morality behind it is the same. When you have, and I'm not like, like you mentioned in an earlier podcast, Lula, I'm not a, a Donald Trump fan or somebody that even actively votes for him. My family is FDR, JFK, Democrats, long line of them. I'm no more conservative or less conservative than they were in that Democrat party, which doesn't exist anymore. There's now a leftist party, not a Democrat party. Um, and, but as, as somebody who dedicated, you know, his life to, the rule of law and our judicial system, I am appalled by its misuse, uh, by the double standard, by the use of searches and arrests against Donald Trump and other conservative Republicans where similar offenses are overlooked when committed by Democrats and, and those on the left, uh, whether it's the misuse of classified documents um, or or other examples uh, that are treated differently in our current uh, judicial system. So our hands aren't clean either, frankly. Um, we're not murdering people, but we're doing the next best thing. You know, Kevin, you, you mentioned about this, what you're alluding to is this double standard. 
and I'm watching them pursue Donald Trump. And I'm not a fan, quite honestly. I will acknowledge things that he did for this country that even Jamie Dimon acknowledged in the CNBC interview. You know, he did some good things for this country. This guy's an animal. Look, I'm a New Yorker. I don't make any bones about who I am. I'm not going to go into in depth on that. It's hard to um, tell you New Yorker, Lou. Uh, well, I'm, I try to mask it. <laughs> Tom tells me all the time I got to wear a mask. But, you know, the, the thing with Trump is that we have violent criminal repeat offenders in New York City, and we're worried about hush money. You know, the cuckoo has completely left the clock in the city of New York as far as how dangerous the city is. They are intentionally lying and misrepresenting the volume of crimes being committed by migrants. And we're pursuing Donald Trump on a victimless crime. You know, I, I don't know where the end game is on this. It's not about being a Trump supporter. This could be anyone. They may be testing a new mechanism. You know, it's so interesting. You talked about John Kennedy. And I gather we were both little boys at the time. I'm yeah. making an assumption. Yeah. And I went to 16 years of Catholic school with Irish Catholic nuns. Need I say more? Yeah. And we got a good dose of John Kennedy. And regardless of what your politics are, if you want to listen to an inspirational leader, a man that knew how to galvanize this, this country, a man that spoke to the importance of peace, a man that took responsibility. What was so interesting for me with this guy is knowing now what we know about spoiled children in our country, of which he was one, this man grew into that job. It was quite interesting. Maybe what we should do on a daily basis is place some of these speeches or addressments that he made that would inspire this country into what they should pursue in leadership because it just isn't here. And I don't like, I don't find comfort being critical of our, our elected officials. That's not my cloth. What's going on with Joe Biden is alarming. And I'm not even talking about his cognitive state. I'm talking about who this guy is as a man at the core. And I just tell everybody this, I can argue with you about foreign policy, the borders, gun control, the cost of living. Please explain to me, Mr. Biden, and, and your, I'm going to say, scumbag son, what happened with this little four-year-old girl in Arkansas that has never met her grandfather or her father? That tells me more about the Bidens than any bribes you could send to me. That, am I right, Kevin? That defines who we are as men. There's nothing further to say about Joe Biden. You can take your politics, all of you, Joy Reid, Letitia James, Stacey Abrams, Corey Bush, Cortez, Tlaib, Omar, Maxine Waters, and shove them. Look at this man with your double standards, what he did with this baby. Explain this to me. And I don't mean to get so amplified about this, but this you want to measure a man as a failure? Failure, children. Look at what went on with this guy. That should tell you more about him than the listening to the bribes or selling office. And I hate to keep going off on this topic, but it strikes me to the core because there's no greater sin than to fail your children. I'm sure you agree with that, Kevin. Well, uh, again, uh, it's easy to beat up on him because there are so many things that he's done uh, that that merit that. Um, and, you know, his... I am I like you am the product of Catholic school education raised by an Irish Catholic mother who who celebrated like other Irish Catholics the election of John F Kennedy um and and in that faith obviously there's a strong a strong feeling an agreement that uh, the killing of the unborn is wrong Joe Biden describes himself as a devout Catholic and yet goes to the extreme to enable the killing of the unborn. Uh, you can't have it both ways. And and that type of hypocrisy uh, does not land well uh, with, with faithful Catholics around the country. So, yes, there are things that 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 in his background and what he has said that that people can find distasteful. Uh, you can look at his son and you can wonder, all right, while your father was vice president, why weren't you seeking consulting contracts with England or Australia or North Zealand or Canada? No, you sought them with China and the Ukraine and other Slavic countries, other countries around the world that are distasteful to American values. Um, the reason why is because those countries were eager, eager to gain access 
to you as a vice president's son in order to influence that vice president. So the distasteful practices of that family are, are jarring uh, to many, many Americans. I will tell you something interesting what's going on in New York. And, and um, you know, New York has always been traditionally a Democrat state. You know, Giuliani stuck in there in 92. He won in November 92, was inaugurated January of 93. And we rode the crest of that wave. We've looked at two administrations back to back that are Democrat. And I just ask the people in the city of New York, take a good look at the condition of your city. And I'm I'm not inclined to politics. I'm inclined to truth. I don't care about politics. I care about the truth. It'll get you through anything. You just have the courage to bite into it. You know, I'm going to say something that I've said a long time ago. In fact, a friend of mine, Bob Boyce, is recently retired chief of detectives in the New York City Police Department. Another brilliant, brilliant man. And, and a, oh, another one of these quintessential leaders. I think New York's in play. You know, I can tell you what I've watched in Nassau and Suffolk counties. Nassau is contiguous to the city, and Suffolk is contiguous east to Nassau County in upstate New York. I think the state could go Republican because the people in the city of New York are reeling right now. You know, we are shutting out student bodies in high schools in Brooklyn, Madison, James Madison High School, displacing these kids telling him, go home and remote learn. We know how that failed, especially the minority community, because the infrastructure isn't there for them to get on computers, folks. Guys, if you ever want to have a sit down with me and talk about what's going on in this country and how to get it back on track, I'll be happy to do it free of charge. Most of these problems are self-inflicted and there's fixes to them. But I'm watching what's going on in New York. And, you know, what's 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 really happened in the country, and this is the truth, guys, you want to believe it or not, <laughs> the Democrats have used our minority communities. They've done nothing for them. Barack Obama in his eight years did nothing for the minority community. And the Republicans just turned their back on them. Republicans, from a strategy standpoint, go in and embrace the, the religious leaders and the local elected officials and make a run at trying to take some of those billions out of the Ukraine and fuse them into that community so these kids can go to school and learn, not go into environments where they, they hold order, make their streets safe so they're not collateral damage to these shootings. And by the way, upgrade their housing, which is horrific. I looked at it, I lived it. Medicine diet to start with, to start with. Get the guns off the street. I could do that with Bob Boyce and Bill Bratton. In 24 hours, I could change the climate in any minority community here. All you've got to have is the courage to do so. I think New York is potentially in play because I think even the people in the city of New York, which sway the state, I've had enough of the crazy. That's, I don't want to continue to be legged. It's not fair to both of you guys to talk about our problems in New York and the fact I've been run out of my own home. You know, I'm born and raised here. I love that city. Everything has done for me good. And I understand the animal that's made me. And, and I want to leave it right there. Um, I want to go into this guy, Valan, Valan Navalny, and ask you again, as I brought this up, we talked about the 500 sanctions that are valueless. But what is all this posturing like, you know, we're taking up some humanitarian cause. This man knowingly went back to Russia, if I'm correct, understanding the peril associated with that revisit and, and may have suffered the consequence. Why are we so heavily invested all of a sudden in a cause related to a Russian citizen? I mean, well, how would we feel if people... <laughs> started to express concern about how we treat our own people, not even talking about Donald Trump, any of these people we we persecuted on January 6th. Tom, you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, I think we need more investigation on this because there's, a, there's reporting coming out that he may have been an agent of MI6 from the UK. He may <laughs> have been killed by them as a uh, black flag operation because it would look so bad for Putin if he suddenly is not alive. So I think, you know, that could be propaganda, but it doesn't look like that's coming from Russia or from Putin. That looks like other reporting having to do with what Navalny's activities have been in Russia over the last couple of years, trying to work against Putin, trying to do other things, uh, illegal operations that he was conducting, other, other accusations against him. That uh, that Putin kept pardoning, not pardoning, but just you know waiving his sentence multiple times. So 
this guy's no angel. We just don't know the whole story yet. And I think we need to hold off on who we accuse of killing him until we know. Kevin, your opinion, sir? I don't know enough details about it, but I, but, but it does open up uh, a larger point that you alluded to. And that is there seems to be in this country uh, a chorus that will start singing any time there is an opportunity to stir up conflict, to stir up um, uh, agitations and, and whether it's in Ukraine, the Ukraine-Russia war, whether it's in the Middle East, uh, a little bit too much of an enthusiastic chorus that's tied to, Lou, what you alluded to in an earlier podcast, uh, the, industrial, the military-industrial complex. Uh, never underestimate the power and quest for money that conflict brings. And there are vested interests in this country that will always try to amplify um, controversies that might help embroil the U.S. in situations where greater spending is dedicated to that military-industrial complex. I'll leave it at that. that. I mean, I'm not breaking any news here. That's a, a concern and a suspicion that's been around for decades, but it seems to consistently uh, occur whenever things like this happen uh, that, that stir up passions. If I could add to that, uh, Lou, not one word has been said by the president or the secretary of state or any other U.S. official about Gonzalo Lira, a U.S. citizen put in jail in the Ukraine, reporting to his family that he was being tortured because he had made reports that were critical of uh, Zelensky and the Ukraine government and the whole operation going there. And as you know, Zelensky has locked up priests, nuns, reporters, anybody that's criticized that government. He called off their, you know, he's such a Democrat that he canceled their election, locked up his opponent for multiple years in prison. And now Gonzalo Lira reporting on all those things gets put in jail, telling his family he's being tortured, and then he dies. So not a word. We don't hear a word about that out of our president who went ballistic when Zavalny dies. Oh, he, he couldn't wait to get out and say Putin did it. But he didn't say Zelensky did it when Lyra got killed in, their, in the Ukrainian jail. You know, guys, what we're realizing is that this country needs a massive course correction in the way we just do business in a general sense. And, and uh, Kevin, you mentioned something about the military-industrial complex and money. And, and what we witnessed in our lifetime, especially with the advent of the 80s and Wall Street shifting gears, is we basically sold our souls for money, guys. And I'll tell you something interesting. I worked for billionaires. In fact, I worked for Leona Helmsley. I got along great with Mrs. Helmsley. Uh, she was worth $14 billion at the time of her death. I've never seen a Brinks truck follow a hearst. You know, try this out. You're selling out the, the, futures of, the future of our children and the future of this country as a whole. You know, we could go topic to topic here. Tragically, what's what's so alarming is this lack of integrity, truthfulness, morality in this government today. And, you know, I, I am not so sure that the Republicans are properly presenting the case against the government. I don't like even saying that. You know, we, we all came from that same generation where, you know, it, at one point, you gentlemen know better than I do, if you spoke out against an elected official like the president, the FBI created a dossier on you. That's what J. Edgar Hoover did. That's common knowledge. I don't find comfort in criticizing this. This I don't know how to refer to Joe Biden. I don't know how to refer to this man. I have so little respect for him. I don't know where to start or stop this conversation. You know, my I don't want to. I don't want to just get into this thing about him. It's just disgusting and just it's alarming. And you look at this entire administration. Mallorca, Kamala Harris, Merrick Garland. I mean, I don't know what to say about this guy, Merrick Garland, that you're threatening, you're protesting, threatening and intimidating our Supreme Court justices. And I don't know Title 18 the way you two gentlemen do, but I have brushed up against it. And you don't see fit to send a message out that you may not do that with our Supreme Court justices. 
and you're allowed to remain in office. Guys, this is our defining moment. We've got it staring us right in the eyes in 2024. And I wish I could tell you Donald Trump was the answer, but I can't. The problem is he may correct his course by economic standard, probably going to open up the pipeline. I definitely think he'll shut that border down. And that needs to be done independent of politics or your political views, because we need to shut it to regroup, to figure out what the approach is going to be to facilitate an orderly, sane, rational, reasonable migration problem. And please listen to these two gentlemen today. We can't vet people coming into this country from certain parts of the world. There are no databases and they change their identity. Driver's licenses, passports, birth certificate, like you change your underwear, providing you change your underwear every day. And I'm not pointing any fingers. The, the bottom line here is we're, at a, we're in a crisis. We need to change at the course of this country. That's why we do this podcast, Tom and myself. It's why we invite men like Kevin Brock and Chris Wecker and any a number of other individuals that can help facilitate a process to get us back on track. We're trying to get a larger platform. I rely on Brian Williams, who's, the, in, as they say in organized crime, the capo de capo. He's the boss of bosses here to, to get us into this arena to where people can listen to something other than this garbage you listen to on Fox, MSNBC, C, CNN, and all of them that I can't tell if they're game show hosts or what they are. Are they entertainers? Because we have to stop entertaining the people in this country and start to give them some form of direction that's going to put this country back on track. I know Tom will argue this with me, but the conservative estimate of this population is about 360 million. For those of you who have heard me before, the population when John Kennedy was the president was 180 million. The year I was born, it's over 200 million since that year. We're having a hard time managing things, knocking on our door. And these conversations about funding the Ukraine are just, you know, you look at our people living in the streets. I've spoken about this, Kevin, about this big bipartisan bill that took place. I guess it was around uh, October of 2022. Unprecedented gun control, enhanced background checks. Where? That's my wheelhouse. Where? We're funding mental illness. Where? Funding the homeless. Where? Where did, where did that, how did it ever manifest itself? And you know what? The American public just keeps taking it. And Tom and I have spoken about the complacency. I feel we're all distracted here. So at the end of the day, we're worried about our children, clothing them, feeding them, educating them to start with, putting them in safe environments, worrying about if they're going to go into a movie theater and be the victim of an active shooter or a mall or better yet, their educational institution. And ladies and gentlemen, so we know how sleeping you are at the wheel. We've, we've eroded into a country that we have to have armed people like myself or Tom or Kevin or any number of us from the law enforcement community in the environment of your children so they can be safe to learn. And you just accept this garbage. You don't think there's something wrong here? There is, and we never tell you the truth about it. Any case, I, I want to give uh, Kevin closing comment for today and then you, Tom. Anything you want to air your laundry about or something that we didn't speak about that you believe is important to speak of? No, I appreciate that the opportunity to come on to your podcast. Congratulations on, on setting it up, and I hope it grows. I hope your influence, uh, your voice gets out there. Uh, as you point out, we we do live in perilous times right now, um, and I have I have lived half my life before the internet and half with the internet, and the the <laughs> the distinctions be between our country you know, 60 years ago and, and today are stark. Uh, we are bitterly divided. And that is because politicians and the press have made us that way. And we don't need to accept it. We're Americans. We need to be united. Uh, we need to love each other. And we need to seek common ground. Um, but above all, we need to make sure that we and our children are safe and secure in this country. And right now, the government is not providing that for us and so kevin so i may selfishly say i hope that you're back on a more frequent ba basis because your your insight your wisdom your experience your life experience that's what the three of us really bring to the skies we've had an interest i've had a phenomenal journey i've had an immense amount of adversity and disappointment i think that's what carves us out sometimes if you allow it to or to destroy you for me 
It built a different kind of animal. You know, I can't thank, I thank Tom every time this show ends, uh, Kevin, because I always say I love people smarter than I am because that's how I learn, you know, and I, I love and respect both you guys for what you bring to this table. I hope you are prepared to be a voice in this going forward, you know, and, and it has to be on your terms because I know you may have other interests or distractions. You may be married. That alone will do the trick. <laughs> Tom, I give you the closing shot for today, sir. Yeah, I just want to thank Kevin for coming on. You know, we came up, Kevin, Chris Wecker, myself, are in the same generation of street agents that became supervisors, that became special agents in charge of divisions, later went on to be assistant directors of the FBI or in other equivalent positions. And, you know, so to be on a podcast on any kind of, of a show with Kevin or with Chris is an honor for me to do that. I'm glad that we were colleagues when we worked together in the FBI and, uh, and even now, uh, because we're shocked and outraged at what's happened to the reputation of our bureau, and we want it restored. We want the country restored. We want the presidency restored. We want the FBI restored. And the FBI plays a critical role in protecting the American people on a worldwide basis. So thank you, Kevin, for coming on. Thank, thank you, Kevin, as well. Thank you, Tom. And I don't think we need to say much more than that today, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next time. Kevin, hopefully we're going to see you real soon. Hope so. Tom, I, I re rely on you in nudging him. <laughs> we'll see okay. you again, guys. Thank you so much, guys, for listening and for viewing. Thank you, everybody.